retired abbot of His Holiness the Dalai Lama's monastery, uh, Namgyal in India, uh, where he was the senior teacher and also, again, the abbot there. He was sent to the United States by His Holiness the Dalai Lama to be the head of the North American seat uh, in Ithaca, New York. Um, and then after that, uh, after about two years, given permission to retire here by the Dalai Lama at the Chen Rising Tibetan Buddhist Center in Middletown, Connecticut. And he's been here for over 12 years. And uh, we're very, very fortunate uh, to have Rinpoche with us. He is considered by all the world's great scholars as one of the greatest living scholars in uh, the Sutra and Tantra tradition of Tibetan Buddhism and uh, uh, holds the degree of Geshe Larampa which is the highest degree that one can achieve in the Tibetan Buddhist Galuk tradition. So uh, anywhere in the world, it's a rare chant, uh, opportunity when there's a teacher of this caliber uh, to give the kind of teachings that Rinpoche gives in, in, in their purest form without any error. And we're in Middletown, Connecticut, able to receive them. So I really personally want to just rejoice in the fact that we have this opportunity. Uh, my name's Jeff, I'm the translator. Today Rimche is going to continue his uh, commentary on Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, uh, which is translated into English in a three-volume series by Snow Lion. And uh, we're in the beginning of the first book, uh, and this text is actually a commentary on a Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. Uh, utilized in all traditions. Uh, uh, before the teaching begins, uh, we go through some introductory prayers. So if you turn to the prayer book, uh, to the back section, about eight pages from the back, the, it should be a blue book. I think everybody's blue by now. Uh, we used to have two colors, but I think now we're all blue. Um, eight pages from the back, tabbed off section with a yellow piece of paper. Uh, the front page of it has a picture of Avogateshvara Chenrezig, the Buddha of Compassion. It says, Prayers for Teachings. And on the other side of it, uh, you'll find the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. That's where we begin. Uh, we begin with the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. We read it in its entirety, including the uh, Sanskrit mantra in the, uh, kind of near the bottom. Uh, next page, Tibetan transliteration and some English translation. We do only the Tibetan transliteration, including the mantras in the center. The only difference uh, that might be confusing is that it says 21 times here, and we only do it as many times to ourselves silently as Rinpoche does. So uh, that's the only change from that page, and there's no, uh, we don't do the English translation. Next page, outer mandala offering. We do in English as well as Tibetan, including the Sanskrit mantra and its translation at the bottom. Uh, and then the prayer of refuge in Bodhicitta, uh, we do just in the Tibetan transliteration, and it's done three times, uh, led by Rinpoche. Uh, after that, the teaching will begin. It'll go on for an hour and a half or so. Uh, and then uh, when, it's, when it's finished, uh, we do the concluding prayers. So if you turn to the next page, we have the concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer, the Samantabhadra dedication, long life prayer for His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and a long life prayer for Kensur uh, Wandak Rinpoche. Uh, we do all of those prayers in just the English translation, uh, and then that will conclude the teaching. So uh, welcome anyone who's new uh, to our center. Uh, I know I feel very fortunate to be able to translate for Rinpoche today. And uh, let's begin with the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. The Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. Thus have I heard, once the Blessed One was dwelling in Rajagriha at Vulture Peak Mountain, 
together with a great gathering of the Sangha of monks and a great gathering of the Sangha of Bodhisattvas. At that time, the Blessed One entered the Samadhi that expresses the Dharma called profound illumination. And at the same time, Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, while practicing the profound Prajnaparamita, saw in this way, he saw the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Then, through the power of the Buddha, Venerable Shariputra said to Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, How should a son or daughter of noble family train who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita? Addressed in this way, Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, said to Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, a son or daughter of noble family who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita should see in this way. Seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature, form is emptiness, emptiness also is form, emptiness is no other than form, form is no other than emptiness. In the same way, feeling, perception, formation, and consciousness are emptiness. Thus, Shariputra, all dharmas are emptiness. There are no characteristics, there is no birth and no cessation. There is no impurity and no purity. There is no decrease and no increase. Therefore, Shariputra, in emptiness there is no form, no feeling, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharmas, no eye, datu, up to no mind, datu, no datu of dharmas, no mind, consciousness, datu, no ignorance, no end of ignorance, up to no old age and death, no end of old age and death, no suffering, no origin of suffering, no cessation of suffering, no path, no wisdom, no attainment, and no non-attainment. Therefore, Shariputra, since the Bodhisattvas have no attainment, they abide by means of Prajnaparamita. Since there is no obscuration of mind, there is no fear. They transcend falsity and attain complete nirvana. All the Buddhas of the three times by means of Prajnaparamita fully awaken to unsurpassable, true, complete enlightenment. Therefore, the great mantra of Prajnaparamita the mantra of great insight, the unsurpassed mantra, the unequaled mantra, the mantra that calms all suffering should be known as truth since there is no deception. The Prajnaparamita mantra is said in this way, Te Ata Om Gate Gate Paragate Parasangate Bodhisattva. The Shariputra, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, should train in the profound Prajnaparamita. Then the Blessed One arose from that samadhi and praised noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, saying, Good, good, O son of noble family, thus it is, O son of noble family, thus it is. One should practice the profound Prajnaparamita just as you have taught, and all the Tathagatas will rejoice. When the Blessed One had said this, Venerable Shariputra and noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, that whole assembly in the world with its gods, humans, asuras, and gandharvas rejoiced and praised the words of the Blessed One. <laughs> Sandara <laughs> 
great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment. And this text is a commentary on Atisha's text called The Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment. And even though it's a small text, its content is uh, anything but small, or it is quite vast. Uh, it contains all of the teachings that Lord Buddha gave, all of the pronouncements, uh, as well as all of the in authentic Indian commentaries. So it when I say it contains them all, it contains the uh, meanings and the contents in an implicit way of all of these great texts. Uh, so the lamp for the path to enlightenment is compared to an ocean, uh, because all of the world's water and all of the rivers eventually end up in the ocean. Uh, likewise, all of the teachings that were given eventually uh, ended up in Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. Uh, so. J. Rinpoche compares uh, the lamp for the path to enlightenment in, in his text to uh, an ocean uh, because of this fact. Uh, and Lama Tsongkhapa, J. Rinpoche, wrote various commentaries, the great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment being the most extensive commentary, but he also wrote the medium stages uh, on the path to enlightenment and also wrote the abbreviated stages on the path to enlightenment. Uh, and wrote uh, other texts that were smaller summaries uh, of this content, uh, such as the foundation of all good qualities or the source of all my good uh, and the three principal paths. So uh, all of these texts would be considered stages of the path to enlightenment texts, which are commentaries on Atisha's uh, root text called the lamp for the path to enlightenment. <laughs> And 
So uh, the lamp for the path to enlightenment's commentaries that uh, were written by Lama Tsongkhapa contain uh, in the order given uh, um, uh, at the highest level uh, the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment. Uh, the most extensive uh, commentary on Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment. So it uh, gives an extensive um, explanation of Atisha's short text. The medium stages on the Path to Enlightenment gives a medium uh, um, amount of information about Atisha's text. And then the abbreviated stages on the Path to Enlightenment uh, gives an abbreviated explanation or a summarized explanation of Atisha's text uh, which contains all of the previous mentioned uh, teachings. Uh, and then the, the other, other texts that would fall under that category would be texts such as the Three Principal Paths uh, and the Foundation of All Good Qualities or the Source of All My Good. So uh, those texts would be summary uh, texts that were uh, the least extensive text uh, written by Lama Tsongkhapa about uh, Atisha's Lamp. ว่าเดตัสวันจีกันจุดนั้นเจอว่าเดกันจุดนั้นจุดก็สุดเลยถ้าจากที่ตุลยบายเนี่ยเรปาลีสังสุดได้เกี่ยวกับเรียบายเน
so the teachings for beings of small capacity are those pathways which lead to the higher realms. Uh, and those pathways are the pathways of going for refuge to the three jewels, going for refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, engaging in an ethics which is an abandonment of the ten non-virtuous deeds, an abandonment of non-virtue. And then if one engages in non-virtue or, or wavers, uh, then acknowledging his or her downfalls in the form of an, an, a, a formal acknowledgement or a confession of one's uh, misdeeds. Um, so the way uh, that the um, uh, ethics um, uh, becomes necessary within this uh, is that uh, misdeeds create uh, the lower realms of suffering and virtue create the higher realms of cyclic existence. Uh, so there are various degrees of uh, um, each of uh, the virtues one can engage in or the non-virtues. Uh, so the greatest level of a misdeed produces rebirth in the hell realm. The uh, middle, medium uh, degree of misdeeds produces rebirth in the hungry ghost in a small degree of misdeeds produces rebirth into the animal realm. Uh, so this is how the lower realms are created, and the higher realms are created by virtue. So the greatest degree of virtue creates rebirth into the gods realm. A medium degree, excuse me, degree of virtue creates rebirth in the demigods realm, and a small degree of virtue uh, creates rebirth into the um, human realm. So this is how the gods and humans realms are created in dependence upon virtue and the lower realms are created in dependence upon non-virtue. But if one does uh, make a mistake or engage in non-virtuous activity uh, um, um, of any kind, then it is possible to engage in an acknowledgement of those downfalls. So through reliance upon these practices of going for refuge to the three jewels, engaging in ethics which is an abandonment of the ten non-virtuous activities, and engaging in acknowledgement of one's downfalls if uh, uh, one has engaged in a non-virtue, uh, one is able uh, um, uh, to re uh, be reborn or achieve rebirth in the higher realms of cyclic existence. What is about that? ね、で、どんな<咳> the next uh, uh, level, uh, the pathway which leads to liberation, um, refers to uh, the pathways of the three highest higher trainings. In, in 
uh, those are pathways to liberation. So looking at the Four Noble Truths, the first turning of the wheel of Dharma, we find that the Buddha stated uh, that this is the superior truth of suffering and that this is the superior truth of origin. So the first uh, pronouncement that Buddha made was about the cause and effect relationship between those two, which showed how one was bound to cyclic existence and bound to suffering. Uh, so uh, in the, the um, origin is what causes the suffering uh, itself. Uh, and then the Buddha stated that uh, so, um, uh, this is the superior truth of cessation, and this, then this is the superior truth of path. Um, so here, the, the cessation was referring to the cessation of suffering, uh, to liberation itself, uh, and the pathway that was re being referred to here that one must rely upon in order to achieve that cessation is the pathway of the three highest higher trainings because it is the grasping at true establishment that a phenomenon that uh, causes one to uh, have afflictions uh, and then engage in action which uh, is the root of suffering. Um, so. Uh, it's through um, uh, practicing the three highest higher trainings that begin with ethics uh, and then the uh, concentration, uh, the highest higher training in uh, concentration uh, and then the highest higher training in wisdom. Uh, and through uh, reliance upon these practices, one is able to achieve a cessation or a liberation. So this is how uh, one engages in the uh, pathways uh, which lead to liberation or the teachings for beings of uh, medium capacity. So, the, um, uh, through the three highest the practice of the three highest higher trainings, uh, one can get rid of the afflictive obstructions uh, and achieve the state of liberation. Uh, but through practice of the three highest higher trainings alone, one cannot get rid of the obstructions to omniscience um, uh, because it's necessary to have a union of the mind that aspires to enlightenment with the wisdom realizing emptiness uh, in order to achieve uh, the state of Buddhahood uh, and remove those obstructions to omniscience that keep one uh, even uh, after uh, he or she has removed the afflictive obstructions from Buddhahood. Um, so this is the pathway uh, um, which leads to Buddhahood, uh, the, the teachings for beings of great capacity. And this would be considered the Tepachem, the great vehicle teachings or Mahayana. So it's very similar. In other religious traditions, we find the uh, concept of going to heaven. So in the Christian tradition, the Hindu tradition, uh, Jewish tradition, we find the idea of by going for refuge to a god or to Jesus, uh, uh, one is able to achieve uh, the state of uh, a higher realm rebirth or uh, um, rebirth in, uh, in the heavens. Um, so we find this uh, similar concept uh, just mentioned as just mentioned in uh, other religious traditions as well. 
So, uh, this text, uh, um, the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment by Lama Tsongkhapa, is a commentary on Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. And Lama Tsongkhapa begins his explanation of Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment with an outline of the um, content. Uh, so it begins with the greatness of the teachings author, which uh, gives an account of the liberation life story of Lord Atisha. Uh, and then the next section is the greatness of the teaching uh, itself. Uh, and this uh, is the greatness of the Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment, uh, its greatness. Uh, the next section uh, is the great way to listen to uh, and explain the instruction. Uh, and then the, uh, so this is how one would explain uh, this teaching, the way, the proper way to explain the teaching, the proper way to listen to this teaching, uh, and then the last section is the how to lead students in the actual instructions. Um, and in that section, uh, where we are right now, um, it shows, uh, um, it begins with uh, reliance upon the teacher, uh, the the root of the path. So the first part is how to rely upon the teacher that is the root of the path. Uh, and then the next is how to actually sustain that meditation. Uh, so it, the reason for this at the introduction, this rely, the uh, necessity of the teacher or the importance of relying on the teacher, uh, is because it's necessary to have a teacher uh, to learn uh, any of this subject material, uh, um, to learn any of this subject material. Just like if one wanted to learn about Christianity, one wanted to learn about Hinduism, if one wanted to learn English, it would be necessary to first find a teacher to teach uh, the, the language or the, the religion uh, in order to understand it. Likewise, if one wants to understand the teachings for beings of three capacities, it's necessary to find a teacher who can explain that uh, in order to learn. Uh, so the reason, this is the reason for uh, the section on relying upon the teacher, the root of the path. Uh, because it's necessary to have a teacher to learn any of this uh, information. And then late after uh, these sections, we find uh, the teachings for beings of small capacity, then the teachings for beings of medium capacity, and then the teachings for beings of great capacity. So that's kind of the order of content. <laughs> So the first section, uh, how to rely upon the teacher, the root of the path, uh, has six different categories in it. 
we've gone through. And then the next section is uh, how to actually sustain that meditation. Uh, so the first, there are two parts to that. There's actual, the actual sustaining of that meditation. Uh, and then the um, uh, uh, re defeating misconceptions about meditation or uh, yeah, de negating misconceptions about meditation. So now we're in the uh, um, refuting misconceptions about uh, meditation section. Sora <laughs> Kosala <laughs> so in the uh, first section uh, about refuting misconceptions about meditation we find the uh, negation of the view of Hashan uh, we find the negation of the view of Hashan we're on page uh, 113 in the uh, English and 73 in the Tibetan. Mm. So, in 113, so it says, uh, 
about, I think, a paragraph down, not knowing the system, some uh, even propound, if you are a scholar, you only do analytical meditations, adepts only do stabilizing meditation. Uh, so that's where we are in the section on the book. So we've already gone through the section on the negation of Hashan's view, uh, where uh, there was the view um, uh, of uh, nihilism, uh, and the, uh, the belief uh, um, that there was only stabilizing meditation and that ana analytical meditation wasn't uh, meditation. Um, and then the second uh, section uh, is uh, refuting misconceptions about um, uh, the harmfulness uh, of um, analytical meditation to uh, um, stabilizing meditation and vice versa. So just clearing up misconceptions about um, um, stabilizing meditation and clearing up misconceptions about an analytical meditation. And in that section there, were, there uh, is this idea uh, that some may have that is incorrect, uh, that um, only scholars uh, um, uh, do analytical meditation and adepts, uh, here it's translated as adepts, we could also translate it as non-scholars. Uh, um, so here it says adepts uh, do stabilizing meditation. Um, uh, but if we um, use the word adept, um, then we would say, uh, um, then Buddha Shakyamuni um, is, we could clearly negate this idea that um, uh, they only, one only does this or that, because Buddha Shakyamuni is both a scholar uh, and an adept. So then it brings to question the actual doubt about the translation of the word as adept, um, because there's a common locus between these two words, uh, that there is scholars and adepts are scholars and scholars are adepts, there's a, a common locus. Um, but also that if Buddha Shakyamuni is uh, both of these, then it would necessarily negate the idea uh, that uh, one would uh, just reaffirm the idea that one uh, can't just do uh, analytical meditation or sustaining meditation. It must be a combination of both because one must rely on a reasons and analysis with topics such as impermanence and so forth uh, to understand them uh, in order to uh, achieve realization. So here this section shows how uh, if one is a scholar, one needs both analytical meditation and stabilizing meditation. And if one is an adept or a non-scholar, uh, he or she also needs both types of meditation. Keba 
So uh, here it states that um, adepts, or if we translate it, I'm going to just keep using the word adept now, uh, or if we use the word non-scholar, necessarily need both types of meditation. It's necessary to have the calm abiding, stabilizing meditation, but also the analytical meditation because it's necessary uh, um, to analyze 
uh, those topics such as faith in the teacher, the life of leisure and opportunity, death and impermanence, karma and its effects, uh, um, uh, the faults of cyclic existence and the mind that aspires to enlightenment or bodhicitta. Uh, so it's necessary to have analysis for this. And for scholars, it's necessary to have analysis uh, of these topics just mentioned as well, such as the, uh, um, uh, the, the uh, life of leisure and opportunity, uh, um, the human, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the faith in the teacher, the faults of cyclic existence, the karma and its effects, uh, the uh, um, uh, spirit of enlightenment or bodhicitta, um, and then also that coupled with the calm abiding uh, meditation. Uh, so both adepts and uh, scholars need uh, both types of meditation. Uh, um, and the reason for this, when we look at phenomena, phenomena uh, can be divided into the manifest phenomena and hidden phenomena. Manifest phenomena is phenomena that can be relied, real, directly perceived no sign, no reliance upon a sign. Uh, manifest Examples of manifest phenomena would be uh, um, a color or a shape that is an object of observation of an eye consciousness. So an eye consciousness apprehends a color or a shape and this becomes a manifest phenomenon. There's no reliance upon uh, reasons or signs in order to establish the uh, color or shape. One is just uh, um, directly perceiving it with the eye consciousness. Just like uh, uh, for the ear consciousness, there is a, a sound uh, that it hears and then it is uh, perceived directly. And the nose consciousness, there's a smell that is direct, or directly perceived. The tongue consciousness, there's something that's uh, tasted, uh, something is tasted, and that's directly perceived. But when we look at other topics um, that uh, such as impermanence, or the Three Jewels, or the Four Noble Truths. Uh, one must use signs and reason uh, in order to establish their uh, existence. It's not possible to uh, just to directly perceive them at, uh, the, at this level um, uh, because they are a hidden phenomenon. And the, direct, the definition of hidden phenomena is a phenomena that is re realized by dependence upon a sign or reason, sign or reason, die and die can be translated either way. So, hidden phenomena, you must use reason and analysis. Uh, and without this reason and analysis, without this discernment, um, uh, it's not possible to create a really forceful, uh, long-lasting understanding of these things, such as impermanence and so forth, uh, so they won't be capable of actually changing one's mind or um, uh, modifying uh, one's um, uh, mind. Uh, so um, it's because uh, these uh, topics are necessarily hidden phenomena and they require analysis because they are only realized through reasoning, uh, through analysis. So uh, um, this is the difference between hidden phenomena and uh, manifest phenomena uh, and why it's necessary uh, in order to um, um, have realization to have both analytical meditation and um, um, uh, uh, stabilizing meditation. Chong Hamada Shemade, Eji Shibi Jusela Tene, and Shemato, and a Mosong Shetum was. 
before I forgot, uh, um, so this uh, fact about the necessity of both of these uh, types of meditation is found in all the sutra teachings, in the sutra teachings as well as the four classes of tantra. Um, so uh, when we uh, um, uh, look at previous lives or the existence of past lives, um, this isn't something that we can um, directly perceive. It's not something that we can uh, hear with our ears or see with our eyes or feel with our bodies or taste with our tongues or smell with our nose. This is something that the uh, mental consciousness must analyze and then uh, through this analysis establish it as um, uh, truth. But there's no way, one can't just directly perceive uh, these previous lives. Uh, previous lives. Um, and likewise, when we look at um, all of the different topics uh, mentioned here, uh, the, the faith in the teacher and the um, importance and difficulty of obtaining leisure and opportunity, a life of leisure and opportunity, death and impermanence, karma and its effects, the faults of cyclic existence, and the mind that aspires to enlightenment, or bodhicitta, we find the same necessity for analysis and reasoning uh, in order to um, uh, understand and establish uh, these things. Um, so, uh, the use of reason and correct signs uh, is very prevalent. Uh, if we look at the in the medical community, for a doctor, for instance, a doctor uses a machine and relies on various signs to diagnose one's tuberculosis or to diagnose one's cancer. Uh, so uh, the doctor uses all of these signs. Science, uh, is very, it's very common to use uh, various signs to uh, um, come to a conclusion. Um, but if uh, one were to ask scientists about the existence of the three jewels or about the three jewels, if there hasn't been this analysis, there couldn't be an answer of uh, any sort of response of truth. Uh, because there isn't this analysis, uh, one must rely upon the teachings found in the sutras and the teachings found in the four classes of Tantra and rely upon one's analysis 
uh, of these things in order to establish um, them uh, because they are categorically um, real, uh, subjects that need analysis or require uh, reason to understand. Um, so other you know, uh, subjects uh, such as the four truths and uh, impermanence uh, and the uh, um, importance of the and difficulty of obtaining the human life of leisure and opportunity and the faith in the teacher um, and so forth. Um, all of these things require analysis and through that analysis one is able to slowly get rid of uh, the karma and the afflictions and then eventually get rid of the uh, grasp, um, uh, the imprints of the grasping at true establishment. Uh, so it's through this analysis uh, that leads one to awareness that uh, allows one to eventually get rid of uh, um, all of those faults. Okay, so uh, in, uh, in Buddhism, uh, there is a uh, Buddha um, stated that the mind is what creates the three realms of cyclic existence, or the three worlds, uh, if you will. Um, in Christianity and in Hinduism, there's an idea of God uh, creating, or there being a creator or a source, a God that creates these um, worlds. Um, uh, but what does science say? Science has an idea of this Big Bang theory uh, that um, and, uh, explains how uh, the world's uh, created. So uh, we have to look at these things. There are all of these uh, explanations. So, through analysis, um, through re uh, relying upon correct signs, one is able to understand uh, uh, hidden phenomena, things that, which categorically fall under hid hidden phenomena, uh, such as previous lives and the three jewels, uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, uh, whereas without 
this analysis, one could not uh, have an understanding of these things. Uh, so in order to um, under, understand the uh, conventional truth and uh, ultimate truth, uh, and, and again, the uh, death and impermanence and uh, previous lives and so forth, uh, in the Three Jewels, it's necessary to uh, have this analysis. Uh, and through uh, this analysis, the un uh, understanding uh, can be reached so that the, uh, even the uh, inference or uh, predispositions of the afflictions can be eradicated. So now we're on page 114 in the English. We're on page 74 in the Tibetan. Um, and we find this third idea that is, if you do too much analysis with discernment and sustain that meditation, you will hinder your concentration. Uh, so um, here, this is the third um, uh, negation that's going to be made. It's a clarification about uh, analysis and uh, utilization of stabilizing meditation uh, and analysis. So here, uh, this is uh, to get rid of this pride uh, that um, could arise um, uh, because of some thinking that, uh, that just analysis itself would be enough. So it's a, there's an idea within here that that's really what should be negated, that this analysis is enough. Shinema 
so here uh, there is the negation. Uh, there are two things that are um, clarified. First, it says if uh, one only does, uh, Lama Sankap is uh, saying that it, um, uh, let me kind of have to read this part. And so it's, here it's saying uh, there is an idea that if one uh, does uh, um, uh, analytical meditation, then it's going to be harmful to the stabilizing meditation itself. Uh, so this is the, an idea that comes up. And Lama Tsongkhapa responds in two ways. He first says that if you're saying that um, uh, um, the one, uh, if one only does uh, um, analytical meditation and, and not stabilizing meditation, that this will not lead to stabilizing meditation, uh, then this is true, because you must do both analytical meditation and stabilizing meditation. Um, but to say that sta doing analytical meditation in some way harms stabilizing meditation goes against what the great trailblazers uh, stated. And here the great trailblazers are referring to the Nalanda scholars such as Lord Asanga and Nagarjuna and uh, what they wrote in their texts such as Nagarjuna's great, six great works or great treatises on the middle way and so forth. Uh, so uh, here... Uh, there are two statements being made. One that if, if uh, the question is that if uh, one can uh, achieve stabilizing meditation uh, um, uh, by just relying on analytical meditation, the answer is no. But uh, if one asks if stabilizing meditation is an opponent to the achievement, I'm, I'm sorry, if uh, analytical meditation is an opponent to the achievement of stabilizing meditation, then there's a misconception here. Uh, because an, an analytical meditation becomes necessary to understand hidden phenomena, to understand liberation or nirvana, to understand things that are not manifest, such as bodhicitta uh, and the benefits of bodhicitta and so forth. So all of these require analysis and require uh, reliance upon a sign because they are hidden. So uh, here there are two um, responses. One is that um, uh, if you haven't uh, 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 already uh, achieved um, uh, concentration, then no, you won't achieve it through an analyzing many objects. Uh, you have to do stabilizing meditation, but uh, analytical meditation is not an opponent to stabilizing meditation itself. Uh, so we're going to take a short break here. Uh, if anyone needs to use the restroom or get a drink, uh, we have to change the cassette. To understand, one utilizes analysis to um, eventually uh, transform one's mind. Um, so uh, if, it, uh, if one is to... Uh, so here there are two statements made. One is saying here by Lama Tsongkhapa, if uh, the question is, if, uh, uh, if one is saying that uh, stabilizing meditation can't just be achieved... Uh, one time because of doing analytical meditation, uh, then the answer is yes. There, you must do both types of meditation, stabilizing meditation and analytical meditation. But if uh, you're saying that doing analysis and analytical meditation in some way harms uh, one's ability to later achieve or to achieve uh, stabilizing meditation, then this is incorrect. Then this goes against all of the great 
uh, Indian masters, the Nalanda Pandits, uh, such as Nagarjuna and Asanga, goes against the Sutra teachings, goes against the different four classes of Tantra teachings, uh, because one can't realize hidden phenomena without analysis, without depending upon a sign, uh, without depending on reasoning. So one can't realize the Four Noble Truths. One can't realize impermanence uh, without uh, analysis. So here, the mind is defined uh, if we, uh, by that which is in the nature of clear light and not stained or not sullied. Uh, so this analysis uh, is com uh, um, the example of uh, washing and burning the uh, gold and silver to get it to its, uh, to its essence is similar to analyzing uh, and using correct signs and analyzing love and impurity uh, and so forth so that one uh, is able to transform the mind into goodness and transform the mind into its pure state. Uh, that is not stained or not, not sullied. So this analysis acts like the water and the fire that it constantly uh, cleanses the mind of its, uh, of its negativities and eventually then one is able to achieve uh, uh, um, the pathways uh, which lead to the higher realms and achieve the pathways which lead to liberation or nirvana, achieve the pathways which lead to uh, complete Buddhahood and rid oneself of the afflictions and the imprints of those afflictions through this analysis uh, uh, over and over again uh, repeatedly uh, in order to um, cleanse the mind. And, and again, the uh, example of the uh, um, fire and water that is used to, um, uh, uh, um, it says the gold guildsmith repeatedly burns gold and silver in a fire and repeatedly washes them in water. Uh, and then to purify them of their defilements uh, and residues. Uh, so the mind is, is similar to this. When we analyze, we're purifying it of these negativities. ตนาจิอนุงาตุเซนเตเซตังมุยดาวเลสเซนเตเซจิรังเซวะสะวะอนุเซจิซามาลุเซนเตเนวะจิบุเรเดวะกะตายวะเรเดวะซามายมายวะ
that has this ability, that uh, um, has uh, the ability or potential to achieve rebirth in the higher realms. All sentient beings have a mind that has the ability to achieve liberation or nirvana. And all sentient beings have uh, the ability to achieve complete Buddhahood. Uh, all sentient beings have a Buddha or Buddha potential or Buddha nature. Um, so uh, this potential uh, exists um, and once uh, one repeatedly analyzes, the mind becomes uh, um, uh, able uh, in more and more to engage in these pathways and succeed in the achievement of their realizations. So uh, here the idea of the mind being compared to gold and silver that are purified of defilements and then become malleable uh, to be able to make them into whatever one wishes. Um, and again, because the mind is in the nature of clear light and not stained, uh, this is possible because currently our mind is full of various faults and afflictions and negativities, and, but it is in its natural state. These can be removed. <laughs> Nyomoba 
Okay, so here it begins, it says, uh, on 114 at the bottom, it says, Likewise, you initially used your discerning wisdom to meditate repeatedly on faults, such as the afflictions and secondary afflictions, karmic effects and wrongdoing, and the faults of cyclic existence according to the order of scripture. So, uh, the first turning of the wheel of Dharma, Buddha stated that this is the superior truth of suffering and that this is the superior truth of origin. And then the next thing he stated about those two truths is that suffering is to be understood and origin is to be abandoned or gotten rid of. Uh, so here, uh, when we look at origin, origin is referring to that which causes uh, suffering. Uh, and it is negative karma or dark karma that causes uh, suffering. So independence upon uh, negativity through one's body uh, and uh, uh, one's speech and mind, one uh, 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 has uh, 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 
suffering or is uh, experiences suffering because it's, that is what the origin of suffering is referring to. So origin of suffering has two categories, uh, afflictions that are origin and karma that are origin. And it is the negative deeds that uh, um, uh, cause uh, these um, uh, uh, um, sufferings. And it is the afflictions with, uh, of the mind which motivate one to engage in these uh, negativities or this, these misdeeds. Uh, so uh, um, here, when it's talking about uh, meditating repeatedly on uh, the faults, such as afflictions and secondary afflictions, uh, karmic effects of wrongdoing and the faults of cyclic existence, it's referring to uh, analyzing these things again and again, uh, such as the root afflictions, such as desire, anger, pride, ignorance, doubt, uh, an afflicted view, and then this, there are uh, secondary uh, afflictions as well, but those are the six uh, root afflictions. Um, and uh, uh, um, So by analyzing them again and again, one can then uh, engage in um, uh, their opposites and engage in uh, positive uh, uh, behaviors. So here it says, uh, um, uh, uh, through repeatedly thinking about these things, about suffering and the origin of suffering, uh, it makes one completely displeased or disenchanted. So by thinking about cyclic existence and suffering over and over again, it allows one to be disenchanted. And this is referring to developing the desire to definitely become liberated, to definitely emerge uh, from cyclic existence. Uh, so here, this makes you completely disenchanted. By bringing this to mind, you turn away uh, from the group of non-virtuous things and clear away these defilements like uh, burning gold and fire. So um, by bringing this to mind uh, and by repeatedly thinking about them, you then know what the group of non-virtuous things are uh, and one uh, stays away from them or turns away from them uh, and, and clears away these defilements as if one is cleansing one's mind like burning gold and fire. Next, you use your discerning wisdom to meditate repeatedly on good qualities, good qualities uh, um, such as um, faith, uh, such as uh, uh, qualities of the teacher. Uh, oh, it goes on to say it, so I'll just read it. Such as the good qualities of the teacher. So analyzing again and again the, the, um, uh, why uh, relying on a teacher is important and the good qualities of doing so and so forth. So analyzing these things. Uh, and then the importance of leisure and opportunity. So looking at the uh, uh, human basis, the life of leisure uh, and opportunity, or leisure and fortune. Uh, and, and then it says the good qualities of the three jewels. So looking at the good qualities of the Buddha, looking at the good qualities of the Dharma, looking at the good qualities of the Sangha. So analyzing these things over and over again. Uh, it says virtuous karma and its effects. So uh, in positive karma or positive uh, actions. Uh, and the results of those positive actions, that those results being uh, rebirth in the higher realms, liberation, or eventually Buddhahood, and the benefits of the spirit of enlightenment, uh, so the benefits of the mind that aspires to enlightenment, or bodhicitta, again, according to their order in Scripture. So following the stages uh, in the order that they are presented in Scripture, uh, so following the actual texts, uh, this causes the mind to become moist or clear. So the mind is... Uh, this allows the, the mind to be malleable again. That word moist is used, uh, um, so it, it, it's saturated in a way uh, that's saturated with this goodness. So here, 
this this is uh, speaking of a satu uh, the saturation. So in the back there's a, a footnote. Let's just see uh, what it says here. One eighty five. It become it's, it says Lochin Rinpoche says the mind becomes uh, serviceable and pliant so malleable I use the word malleable serviceable pliant uh, so uh, here uh, this is what this is referring to um, and then it says learning like washing gold in water bringing this mind directs the mind toward the virtuous group of phenomena causes delight and then moistens the mind with virtues, so saturates the mind with virtuous qualities. By thinking of them again and again, uh, this saturates the mind. Uh, once this happens, focus your mind on what you want to achieve, either meditative serenity uh, or insight, and you will uh, um, accomplish it without difficulty. So in, through this analysis and through uh, relying upon uh, uh, this kind of meditation, one's mind becomes saturated with virtue, one's mind becomes saturated with goodness, and then one can engage in the pathways that lead to the higher realms. One can then engage in the pathways which lead to liberation or nirvana, and then one can engage in the pathways which lead to uh, complete Buddhahood. Uh, so this is how the mind becomes serviceable, becomes uh, uh, um, moistened with virtue and ready to pra uh, be able to engage in whatever one wishes. What so here it talks about repeatedly meditating, repeatedly analyzing the good qualities of faith in the teacher, the importance of this life that we have, of leisure and opportunity, the good qualities of the three jewels, uh, positive karma and its results, the mind that aspires to enlightenment, uh, uh, and the benefits of the mind that aspires to enlightenment, because because uh, by thinking again and again about these things, one becomes to like them or have an affinity for them, uh, and it's based on analysis, which means this affinity is a stable uh, type of liking or uh, affinity for. 
um, because it's based on this analysis and it's based on looking at um, all of the different aspects of uh, um, these things in order for uh, one to uh, um, uh, arrive at the, the realization of them, <coughs> the understanding of them. Uh, so, uh, and it says this causes the mind to become moist, and once this happens, it says, uh, uh, um, directs the mind towards the group of virtuous phenomena. Uh, so, if one then uh, engages in this analysis and then is able to engage in the ethics, which is an abandonment of the ten non-virtuous activities, then one is able to achieve rebirth in the higher realms. If one is able to then engage in the three highest higher trainings, uh, then one is able to, uh, um, after, this, uh, after this analysis, engage in highest higher training, one is able to achieve liberation. And then if one has a union of method and wisdom, uh, then one is able to achieve the state of complete Buddhahood. Uh, so it's in dependence upon uh, this analysis that one is able to achieve uh, these, um, these different types of goals, and it's in dependence upon the mind being saturated with this type of uh, virtue and that comes about through repeated analysis. What the seed of Mujujiravanas in the Avi Woods, Dendry Londa, Tabi Londa, Sanji Kuntu belong to the Avi Woods in his Amarbe, Lambrecheto. Tata Juna and a saint or the Avi Jumanas, Shilakan, Ruban Dover, Shilakan, Saint the Avi Jumana, and then she never going in there in Woods. ハトンゴウエネウレ。ドバンドバテラ。ヒタマナ、セメバネ、ヒタナゴバナ、ネカセメバウテシネドラゴジュチラセス。ドベ。テタビチェゴネ、マトビティンエンドゥ、ドベ
in those higher pathways. Then 
Shitiki nyebu tawa, rajiti nyebu. Nyeji ngoba gawa. Anu saanji kung tubala gawa yungkote, thaba tubala gawa yungkote, dillu tubala gawa yungkote, nyesar ba. Nenju ba te, sente shineji, shu saan, latung ki shu kandang, kandala ngeba juwa sheba, tadala shinto, nyoran juwa da shinto, Nedo pobata, meu adam, não vou a justiça. Tá com até o testemento, lá do povo ainda é amigo, você diz. So, here there's a quote from uh, a sangha, again, uh, we keep mentioning uh, a sangha. Uh, here it says, for example, in order for smiths or their skilled apprentices to purify silver, or gold of all defilements and impurities, they burn it in water, in fire, and wash it in water. By doing this, they understand that they make uh, it into this or that ornament by way of its serviceability and pliability. Uh, then those who know the appropriate craft, the smiths and their skilled apprentices, use the smith's tools to transform the metal into whatever kind of ornament they want. Um, so all sentient beings uh, possess a mind uh, that uh, have has contains faults, contains afflictions, um, and uh, 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 but the mind can be cleansed of its defilements, cleansed of its impurities, in the same way that one could wash a stain um, out of a cloth. So here it says, uh, purify silver or gold of all its defilements and impurities. When you first uh, mine or get silver and gold. Uh, it's full of dirt and other substances, and one has to uh, wash it again and again and burn it and burn it until it gets to this uh, place where it's clean and it's at its purest essence. And then it can become uh, transformed into whatever uh, the uh, jeweler or uh, jewelsmith wants to, if it's in the case of jewelry. Uh, so here it says, um, and then the, it, the smith's tools to transform the metal into whatever kind of ornament they want, whether it's a necklace or an earring. Uh, whatever kind of ornament it can be transformed into. So likewise, the, the mind uh, can be, uh, uh, once it has this uh, um, uh, serviceability, it can be transformed into uh, anything one wishes. It can, uh, uh, then um, one is able to apply the various antidotes uh, uh, to the negativities or the faults within the mind uh, because of the analysis that's taken place, one can apply the antidotes to the grasping and true establishment and to one's self-cherishing attitude um, and uh, understand what the method for achieving the uh, um, uh, Buddhahood is and the method for achieving liberation is and the method for achieving the higher realm rebirth is. Um, so here, this is what it's referring to. It says, likewise, yogis <coughs> and yoginis become disenchanted by simply not turning their mind uh, toward impurities or defilements such as covetousness. Um, uh, um, it, here it's talking about meditators. When it says yogis or yoginis, it's talking about uh, meditators. It says they create uh, delight simply by not turning towards the unhappiness of the afflicted mind and by being inclined <coughs> towards joy in the group of virtues. So um, uh, uh, here, the yogis, uh, the meditators, um, become uh, um, joyful at the fact that they're turning away from the afflictions because of this analysis and knowing uh, what the afflictions cause. Um, this is what causes them uh, joy. 
Uh, so here it says, when they do this, their minds become linked to and calmly settled upon without fluctuation or mo movement any object which they apply them with the scope of serenity or insight. So um, by doing this, by working on the mind and by, and by purifying of it, purifying it of its negativities uh, and by uh, applying those antidotes over and over again, uh, one is able to uh, um, uh, uh, attain whatever objective one wishes to. So it says they can use their minds to properly attain whatever objective uh, uh, for which they aim. Um, so here, uh, this is referring to that constant analysis, that saturation of the mind. Uh, and the removal of the impurities by over and over again and repeatedly uh, washing them away with the uh, purifier, if you will, uh, of analysis. Uh, so here, this is what uh, it's referring, uh, Asanga is referring to, and Asanga is saying that through this analysis, through this uh, discerning wisdom, uh, one can uh, quickly uh, uh, attain uh, calm abiding and special insight. Nandubijan, <laughs> So here it says uh, the the yogi or the the meditator. Uh, here the word covetous is used, and these are one among the three negativities of the the mind among the ten non virtues. There's covetousness, harmful intent, and wrong view. Uh, so here uh, there there is a joy that's created in turning away. Uh, because of the recognition of the unhappiness that the afflictions cause. And there's a joy that's created by not uh, engaging in these uh, negativities because of the recognition of the consequence of engaging in those negativities. Uh, so here, uh, this is what is uh, being, uh, what is meant uh, in this section, where it says the, the yogis, uh, they create delight simply by not turning towards the unhappiness of the afflicted mind, because it's the afflicted mind, it's the negative um, actions, it's the uh, um, impurities and defilements uh, which uh, cause uh, these uh, negativities, which then cause uh, suffering. <laughs> So by um, recognizing that uh, this covetousness and harmful intent and wrong views are all necessarily afflictions, are all necessarily incorrect view, um, then by turning uh, uh, and then recognizing that these things cause suffering, by turning away from them, uh, one is necessarily able to uh, um, turn away from the causes of the suffering itself. So this creates a joy 
um, in uh, because of the analysis, because of the understanding, it creates a joy. Because of the because one is moving away from those consequences. So then, by knowing this, by understanding uh, that uh, these non-virtues uh, are what create unhappiness, simply turning away from them, uh, uh, it says it uh, becomes joyful. Um, and it becomes, it says, in being inclined towards joy in the group of virtues. So by engaging in virtue through one's body, speech, and mind, one becomes joyful because of the recognition of the consequences of uh, the opposite, or the consequences of uh, engaging in uh, what is non-virtuous activities, and those consequences being uh, suffering. Okay, so we're out of time. In the future, we'll go uh, further into this. Okay. So we'll do the concluding mandala offering of dedication prayers, going back to the book. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn flowers. Adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon, I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure land. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrava to shine forever. I send forth this mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness, all powerful Abhulateshvara attends in Gyatso. May you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kinsu Wanda, a polar spiritual and realizational doctrines, spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. To Jirushi, good to share with you.